at this point, I want to introduce our guest speaker. Uh, Jan and Christine Banke have been partners with Calvary Chapel South for many, many years. They've been faithful servants. They've been with SIM for 18 years, worked in different countries in West Africa, recently in Niger. Uh, Jan is passionate about working with the Fulani people, and currently he's, his role is a deputy director of personnel in North Carolina. Would you welcome Jan Banke? Thank you. If I don't bring out the water, I'll need it. If I bring it out, I won't need it, right? It's really good to be here. We've been here off and on over the years for well over 20 years, I think now, but it's always good to be here. It's good to be able to, uh, to share uh, God's Word with you this morning. As John said, I want to... Um, we, we work with SIM. I'm passionate about the Fulani. just want to give you a, a little overview of our family, talk a little bit about the Fulani, and then we'll get into God's Word and, and see what He has for us. So um, we can go to, go to that first slide. I want to introduce you to my awesome family. There they are. Um, that's Colin on the left, who's actually with us this morning somewhere over here. Uh, Mariah and Michael, and uh, that's Christine and myself. And next slide. We are with SIM. Uh, SIM has everyone wants to know what it stands for. It, in, anymore, it doesn't really stand for anything. It's kind of like 3M. You just know that it, it does something. <laughs> but let me just tell you that Sim believes that we are called to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ in communities where he is least known. And sometimes that means going to the hard places, which might be a place like Azerbaijan where you can't be open about it, but it might also be a place like Cyprus where it's maybe not hard to live there, but there's really hard things happening, and Kathy's working in a hard place in that sense. But there are people living and dying in hard places without ever hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Sim, simply put, that's, that's what drives us. Sim is about 4,000 missionaries around the world working in about 70 countries. Um, I, want, I don't want to give you a, a long talk about SIM. Go to the next slide. John mentioned we, we were in West Africa for about 18 years. We went out in 98, uh, came back in 2015. We spent our first two terms in the red country there, Benin, and then uh, two more terms in the green country, Niger. And now we really see that the Lord has got us in a third country, the United States, where um, we're working at the, uh, our, the U.S. office, the sending office of SIM for the United States in Charlotte, North Carolina. And SIM USA sends out about 700 missionaries around the world as a part of that 4,000. So we're, uh, we're here for a period of years. We believe that in two to three years we'll return to Niger, Lord willing. We can go to the next slide. This is the Fulani, and we'll talk, I'll talk about the Fulani off and on this morning. These are the people that we, we went out to, to, um, to, to live with in 1998 and to begin to explain to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Fulani are cattle herders. They're historically nomadic. They, they, we'll talk, again, we'll, I'll say a bit more in a moment, but they, they live in the arid grasslands, though some of them are farmers. You can go to the next one. They're keepers of cattle, sheep, goats, camels, horses. Their life is all about their livestock. Um, so over the years, though, we initially went out to work with the Fulani. I've worked in uh, leadership and administration on those two fields over the years. 
As um, John mentioned, I'm doing that now in the United States in the Charlotte office. Um, so my main ministries have been administration leadership, but have always had a heart for the Fulani. Christine as well, though she has had, she's been involved in ministry, a lot of different ministries, and especially focusing on children's ministries. And so as I say, we're living in Charlotte, North Carolina now, um, and I, it's, a, it's a real privilege to be with you this morning. Uh, to talk a bit more about the Fulani, because that is the thing that, I really like the personnel work, but the thing that wakes me up in the morning is being a part of building God's kingdom among the, kingdom among the Fulani people. So the Fulani, there are about 40 million Fulani around the world. Nomads are a little bit hard to count, so no one really knows exactly their population. But you've got about 40 million living in about 17 countries. If we can go to that next slide. Not that one. <laughs> Let's talk about that one now. I forgot to add that to my notes. Um, you know, in my great rush to get here, I forgot to bring stuff for the table. And so... I want to tell you two things. If you'd like to get a, a photo prayer card of the Banky so that you can pray for us, we would love that, but I don't have any with me, so you're going to have to write me at that email address, and I would be we would be happy to send you one. The other thing I want to tell you is that every Saturday, we do our weekly, I should call it our almost weekly postcard, and that's about as long as it is. There might be three paragraphs. It's a, it's a very short update. comes out at weekly. It's a... It's a it's a photo with something to do with our ministry or our lives, and then there's a, a little bit of an explanation about it. So if you'd like to either get a po to receive, to, I'm sorry, if you'd like us to send you a prayer card, or if you'd like to be on the list to receive the postcard by email, please feel free to write us at that address for either one. Thank you. All right. Next slide. The Fulani. That's where the Fulani are, generally speaking. As I said, they're cattle herders. They're almost always in the, in the, away from other populations because of their herds. They don't want to get too close to the fields because they, the cattle get in the fields and that sort of creates hard feelings. Um, they're all across that, the, the Sahel, the grasslands. Some of them are farmers in other places, but they always, keep the, they always keep animals. Even if they live in the city, someone in the bush is keeping animals for a Fulani. The Fulani are almost entirely Muslim. Almost... Um, excuse me, almost 100% almost Muslim entirely. I think there's another slide to go here. Yeah, and those are their cattle. Pretty cool looking. Um, but they're almost entirely Muslim or animistic. Animistic meaning they, they don't necessarily believe in, in one God, but they believe in the spirits and, and in, in power of nature and superstitious. And so it's a mix of those two things. But if you talk about 40 million Fulani, I haven't done a, a real thorough census, but I think maybe we're talking about 20,000 Christians across that expanse. 20,000. It's a lot of Christians. But if, out of 40 million, if you do the math, if there's 40,000 Christians, and I don't think there are, if there's 40,000, that's one one-hundredth one one of a percent of the Fulani people know Jesus Christ. So they are still very much considered an unreached people group. They're also known in the news. If you Google, you might want to try this, Google Fulani Nigeria and see what you get. You may already know. You hear about herdsmen in Nigeria doing unpleasant things and killing farmers. 
Unfortunately, those herdsmen are Fulani. And there, there are Fulani around the world that are involved in some pretty unpleasant activities. Now, I, don't, I actually believe that the Fulani are a peaceful people and that these folks are the exception. And there's, there's a whole bunch of discussion on, on why, why this is happening. And I don't, we don't really have the time to go into that this morning. But in places like Nigeria, Burkina Faso, Mali, the Fulani have a very bad reputation, and rightly so. But generally speaking, where we find Fulani around the world, they are generally a peaceful people. Why the trouble? Well, and it depends. In Nigeria, it's political, but it's also religious. It's sort of Islam in the north and Christianity in the south, and I believe that the Fulani are being used by radicals as pawns in that game. But in places like Mali, it's more of an ethnic conflict between a one people group and another people group. And in places like Nigeria and Burkina Faso, there's also the, in addition to the political factor, there's also a terror factor. You know, there's a, there's a, it's a, it's a terrorist activity for different motives. For all of those reasons, the Fulani are considered very hard to reach. It is true that the Fulani are generally marginalized. They have to be on the fringes of society because of their lifestyle, but they are looked down on because they, they're considered to sort of be bumpkins, you know, hillbillies. Um, they are very unique people. They're very different from the other peoples around them, and so what you don't know, you're often afraid of. They are feared for good reason, and sometimes for not good reason, but they're feared because we don't know them. They're different, and they're looked down on. They're not really considered... I mean, I've, I've talked to Christians in Nigeria who say, I don't think a Fulani can become a Christian. And we would all say, oh, you, 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 how can you say that? Well, I have not lived, we have not probably, most of us haven't lived what they've lived, seeing some of their family members injured or killed or, or whatnot by Fulani. So though that's a, a wrong understanding, I think of the gospel, if we ever believe that there's a people group that is not, if somebody is beyond the reach of the gospel, then we haven't understood the gospel. Because the gospel is for each of us and, and we're, all, we're all at that point. Even if we live a good life, we're not holy compared to a holy God. We're unacceptable to him. That's the Fulani. We'll come back to that a little bit. But I want to go now to a passage, uh, our passage for the day, from Romans. Apostle Paul is speaking, and he says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless, unless they are sent? Go to, the, let's go to the next slide there, which is no slide. So, Because I want you to pay attention to me. So our theme this morning is the long game in missions. So what do we mean by the long game in missions? Well, I think it's a reference. I consider it a reference to perseverance, to endurance, in contrast to maybe an easier approach or a quick approach or a short-term approach. The long game in missions is not a quick cross-cultural trip, a quick cross-cultural thrill. That's, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about evangelical tourism. Hey, I'll, you know, I get to see the world and I'll help dig a ditch. Great. Well, 
People I know in Africa are really good at digging ditches. They don't need your help with digging ditches. It's not a cool Facebook post. Hey, look what I got to do. The long game in missions refers to the long haul, to the grinding forward in ministry, to sticking it out, to really enduring. And I want to talk about what I mean by that. But the long game in missions, I believe, also implies vision. It's taking the long view of the work of missions. The long game sees the long-term impacts of the things that we do now. If we do this today, what's it going to mean five years, 10 years, 25 years from now? Because there's lots of great ideas of things we can do today on the mission field. But if we're not thinking about what is the impact of everything about the, what we're doing and how we're doing it and why we're doing it, if we're not thinking about those things now, if we're not thinking long game in what we're doing now, it, it's going to have impacts. So I believe we really need to have the long view. But that's hard. Not everyone is wired that way. Not everybody thinks long-range long vision. Not everybody can, can imagine that, picture that. We're just wired differently. A whole lot can. A whole lot of folks can see that way. And missions and churches and ministries anywhere in the world need folks like that. We need the folks that have the long-range vision, the planning, and, the, and that what's thinking through what's going to happen if we what's going to happen down the road if we do it this way today we also need people to who we need everyone the body of christ we want to we want people who are ready to act and maybe aren't the ones thinking but somebody's got to be thinking long game thinkers think of what we need now long game thinkers think of what we need down the road long game thinkers think of how we can have both and what can we do now that will have good, healthy implications down the road, results down the road? All of that is guided by the Holy Spirit. All that's guided by the Holy Spirit. But what I'm not saying this morning, and please hear me because this is important, I'm not anti-short-term missions. I'm not. Short-term missions has its place. And we need short-term missionaries in a lot of ways. It can... Short-term is a great way for, for, I would say, young folks or folks without a lot of experience to get a vision and a heart for missions, to see what it's like, and, and maybe the Lord will lead them to longer-term missions. Most long-term missionaries on the field today did a short-term mission in some, at some time. Very few people anymore just sort of go outside unseen and have never been a part of missions. So we need short-term missions is important for that. It's important for relief for tired long-term workers. So at a our the SIM hospital in Niger, we've got doctors who work long hours. The hospitals are understaffed for the doctors. They're on call. They get woken up in the middle of the night all the time. A doctor from the United States goes for a month, gives his vacation, and he works at the hospital. And those, those other doctors are just thrilled to death because they can actually sleep through the night or just get a bit of a break. So that's short-term missions. It's wonderful. Short-term missionaries can be a real encouragement for the missionaries who are tired, who are weary, who are slogging it out, and someone who comes alongside and from home who sees and, and can appreciate what they're doing. Short-term ministries, short-term missionaries can be involved in some limited and some really strategic activities, like it could be English as a second language in terms of making relationships in a place where you can speak with folks 
and, and create interest in, in the gospel, maybe create interest in another ministry. So done right, short-term missions seize the long game. Done right, short-term contributes to the long-term. Done right, it's good for people now. It's good for those who are receiving the ministry of the short-term missionaries. It's good for the long-termers whom they're there with, encouraging or giving a break to. And it's good for the short-termers. So short-term missions done right is a wonderful thing. Short-term missions done wrong can create a big mess of some long-term mission ministries that folks have invested in for a long time. Global missions is stronger for having short-term missionaries, so please hear me say that. But I do want to say that based on my experience of tw- over a little over 20 years, I'm more and more convinced of some very basic principles that I want to talk about this morning. The principles that point to the long game. I don't want to be too dogmatic about them. There's not just one way to do something. There's not just one way to do missions. But there are some convictions that I hold that I want to look at this morning. We see them in Scripture, so I'm not just, they're not just Jan's great ideas. And I see them in my experience, in my own experience, and I see them in the experience of others. Surprise, surprise, right? What's in Scripture we see play out in real life. So I want to walk through some scripture and look at some accompanying logic that goes with it. So I'm, it, the idea is to make a, a case for the importance of the long game in missions, and I'm not discounting short term. Go you know, the next slide. Missions is communication. When it comes right down to it, you, you know what? What is missions in one word? Well, I'm, we might all give several words, but I think a real good one is missions is communication. It's simple, but it's profound. It's very powerful, this idea. An apostle in Scripture, the word that we use for apostle is one who is sent with a message. Now, I'm not a Greek, a, Greek, a Greek scholar, but I'm aware that that's what apostle means, and so we see apostle in the gifts of the, um, in the ministries in, in, in some of Paul's epistles. Here's a freebie. In Fufulde, the language of the Fulani people, the word for a missionary, what I am is I'm a lilato, and a lilato is one, literally one who is sent. That's the word that, that, that's used for one who is, because it's someone who's take, sent with a message. So a missionary is one who is sent with a message, and classically we use the idea in terms of one who is sent with a message, one who is sent with a message to another culture. Now, if you go down the street here in Kent and you take a message to your friend or your neighbor and you are a Caucasian and your friend is Caucasian, I'm not really, you're, a, you're an apostle, but I'm not really sure I would call that cross-cultural because you're the same culture. But I'm also very aware that you can walk down the street in Kent and meet folks from different cultures, folks who are fairly newly arrived from somewhere else in the world, and that is cross-cultural. That is the work of a missionary if you're, if you're taking the message of the gospel. So regardless, we're apostles. We are entrusted with, with the gospel message. The, the, follow, the verse following our passage today, we don't need to tr- pull it up, is how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Missions requires that communication takes place. Without communication of the gospel truth, missions hasn't happened. We can go and love on people, and just lo- we can't love them into the kingdom. They've got to hear the message. 
They've got to hear the truth of Jesus Christ, the gospel message. And so we don't say, we don't say tell or talk, tell someone about the good news or talk about the good news, because we can talk a lot and not really communicate. Because communication is a question of language. So if we can have the next slide, we're just going to do a quick exercise. So I want you all to find someone to, to, a neighbor to turn to. I'm sorry if you're introverts, but turn to somebody and say, Mihina hore matna. Now, what did you just say to that person? Literally, you said, literally, you said, I greet your head. Literally, that's what you said. Me, I, Hina, greet, hore, head, matna, yours. I greet your head. But what did you say? Did you say it to your wife? You told her that you love her. Way to go. Some of you said it to someone that you maybe didn't really mean to say that to. <laughs> what I'm saying is, there is another way that I might think I can say I love you in fulfulde mi dima, but that doesn't mean, it literally means I love you, but that does not have the same meaning as I greet your head. So it's a question of language. We can speak it really well and not communicate. It's also a question of culture. We can give a, I can give in Fafulde or in French, both of which I speak, I can give a really great description of the gospel in that language. And I can use all the words technically right. Maybe I can even you know, get these sorts of nuances right. But if I'm speaking from a Western perspective, because I see the world one way, and my Fulani friend sees it a different way. And if, I was, if I'm presenting the gospel to him in a Western way, it might be very true. And all of you, if you understood what I was saying, would be saying, yes, wonderful. But he might not get it because there's a cultural, there's a worldview difference. Next slide. To get that understanding, you have to spend time with people. There is no shortcut for time spent on the mat, as I'm doing here. You've got to spend time with people to learn how to speak their language, to learn how to see the world the way they see it, to understand their culture. <clears throat> because there's also a question of meaning and understanding. And so in communicating the gospel, what we really want to be doing is, create, is to create understanding of the message. We want to see the world the way they see it. I want to get in the head of my friend Bonnie. I want to get inside his head, see the world the way he sees it, and then communicate the gospel to him in a way that he'll understand that. Missions is communication. Next slide. But communication, there you go, but communication is more than preaching. Communication is more than preaching. The next slide. Communication is creating understanding. Next slide. Missions, therefore, is creating understanding of the gospel. So there's a bit more to communication. I mean, I suppose you could say, well, if we're talking about communication, we're, we're talking about understanding. It's true, but I just want to be clear. Missions is about communication, but communication isn't simply just preaching. Communication is creating understanding. Sometimes you've got to have the relationship for there to be understanding. And missions, then, therefore, is creating understanding of the gospel message of the good news of Jesus Christ. And we see that in the Romans passage. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, 
We're going to jump down then. How then, will they, <clears throat> how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So let's just walk through this. There are four steps to belief, sort of working backwards, if you will, in this passage. So to be number four, which is what I say number four because it comes at the end of the passage. No, it comes at the beginning of the passage. To call on God, they have to believe that God is there. And the next one? So to, and to believe in God, someone's got to tell them. They have to hear it. Now, I've even gotten ahead of myself. To believe it, they have to have heard it. Next step. To hear it, somebody has to tell them. Somebody has to preach. And the fourth step, or the first step, for someone to preach, someone has to be sent. Someone has to, whether you're in America or it's a Christian in Taiwan or in Ethiopia or in Bolivia, someone has to get up and say, you know what, somebody over there needs to hear it and I'm going to go tell them. Because they're not just going to hear it by osmosis, someone. There are around 40 million Fulani who have not heard. Millions are stuck between step one and step two. Someone, there, somebody hasn't been gone, someone has not been sent. Some, no one has gone to tell them. It doesn't have to be a missionary from the West. It might be somebody, literally, who lives just a few kilometers from them. Another believer from another people group. But somebody hasn't gone. There are 40 million who are stuck between step one and step two. Evangelism, sharing the gospel with someone, sharing the gospel message, is, <clears throat> I look at it this way, it's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. We're all beggars. For all of us, all of us who today here who know Jesus Christ as our Lord, know that he has saved us, we're all beggars. And if I'm telling a Fulani about Jesus, it's not some high and mighty thing. It's really just saying, hey, you know what? There's bread over there. You want that. I found it. Let me tell you where this bread is. We call it the good news for a reason. It's really good news. But there are millions of Fulani who live and die every day and they have never heard the good, not millions, millions of Fulani. Many live and die every day without hearing the good news. There are people around them who know the gospel and are not telling them. Fulani come into contact with so many Christians. We're all beggars. One one hundredth of a percent have come not even one one-hundredth of a percent have come to understand the good news of salvation. The Fulani call it habaru beltum. It literally means the sweet news. The, that's the word they use for the gospel, for salvation. The good news. Habaru beltum, it's sweet news. Are they beyond the reach of the gospel? No, I don't think that they are. Some, some think that they are. They're not truly beyond the reach of the gospel, but they are hard to reach. I said earlier that Fulani are considered hard to reach because they're marginalized, because they're looked down on, because they have a unique culture, because they're feared. And the Fulani people are easy to avoid. They're easy to reject. They're easy to ignore. In some countries, they're seen as a problem. Niger people in Nigeria refer to the Fulani problem. It's this violent element, or it's the grazers and the, and the farmers, and how are we going to get them to live together? It's not just the Fulani that are like that. There are other hidden people groups around us, and you know some of these people groups, that aren't on the radar. 
And that's, not a, that's a, a topic for another day, but something to bear in mind. But how is a people like the Fulani, how can we reach a people like the Fulani? How are they reached? What is the long game for reaching the Fulani or other people like the Fulani? Well, we can learn from the mistakes that we make, and we can learn from the, mistake, from the mistakes of others. We want to do that humbly. The approach used by many African believers from other people groups to reach the Fulani doesn't work, and it illustrates some important, some, some important things here. <clears throat> some of these people groups event are, are, um, are from other parts of the country, and their, their culture is loud, their culture is vibrant, their culture has a lot of bright clothes, and they kind of do evangelism. When they evangelize other people in their area that aren't Fulani, it's, it's kind of blow in and blow up and blow out, and it's loud, and it's, it's, the music is loud, the preaching is loud. It's kind of your classic stereotype of an evangelistic campaign. Fulani won't go anywhere near that. Culturally, that's ridiculous. And Fulani won't even, set, he won't even go and listen to that. He might stand off on the side and, and just observe, but he's not interested in that because that's so anti-cultural for him. It's well-intended, well but it's ignorant and it's unaware of their culture. So we're getting stuck here between two and three. You can wait on that. We're getting stuck between two and three. Someone's preaching, but they're not really hearing it. They're not, they're not getting to a point where they're able to believe it. Or maybe they're not hearing it at all. Missions is communication, and missions is more than preaching. Romans, in the Romans passage, I think Paul assumed a similar cultural context. So he understood where, those, where the, folk, the Romans were that he was speaking to. Paul generally would, you know, would adapt his message to the audience he was speaking with. But for some Africans working among Fulani... The culture is very different. I just described that. It's not the same culture, but, they, but the, a lot of them think it is. And I'm going to mess a little bit with the four steps. And I think Paul would probably agree with me. But um, Pastor Kevin, please don't kick me out. I don't think I'm doing heresy here. We go to the next slide. To believe, they must hear. I'm not sure what happened there. And understand. It's probably there in the Greek. So again, I don't think I'm adding to Scripture. We need to not only preach, we need to do more than speak. We need to create understanding. To, be, to call on God, they must believe. To believe, they must hear and understand. It must make sense to them. And then to believe, somebody must preach, and to preach, somebody has to go. It's more than just words. It's creating understanding. It's getting inside the head of the other person. We have the next slide. Mission seeks to see the world the way the other person sees it. Next slide. And then, and then mission seeks to communicate the gospel to them, the good news of Jesus Christ, in that way. It's not that hard to understand. How long does that take? How long would it take to do that? Well, you've got to reach fluency in a language, right? If you're going to communicate to a Fulani, you need to speak their language. How long does it take to reach fluency in a language? Well, if you're going to reach even competency in a language, I mean, forget fluency. An adult learner is never going to become fluent in another language. I'm sorry, guys, you're not going to become fluent in... Thank you, Azari. It's just probably not going to happen. But you can become competent. To work with people, to communicate with them, don't use a translator. There is no relationship if you're working through a translator. 
Besides the fact that you're not really sure you're, what you're saying is being really communicated for understanding, there isn't a relationship. By God's grace, I've been able to learn a couple languages, Fofulde and French. I wouldn't call myself fluent in either, but I'm pretty darn competent in both, and yeah, I'm able to communicate, though when I'm in Fofulde, it takes a little longer. How long does it take to understand a worldview? Oh, it depends. How long does it take to see the world the way of my Fulani friend sees it? How long does it take to really get all those cultural nuances to where he, it's not just what he's saying, but the way he's moving, all this unspoken stuff? I'm not even close. There's different styles of communication. As Americans, we're very direct. We'll just say what we mean, mean what we say. Most places in the developing world, it's very indirect. It's so much is being communicated by what's not being said. And there's some unspoken differences, but they're critical differences. So how long does it take to learn a, a worldview? Depends. What about the religious context that you're working in? Well, that depends too. How free are these folks to change their belief system? Are they really able to do that? What's it going to cost them? We've got to think about that. Didn't cost me anything to follow Jesus. In fact, it would have probably cost me something to not follow Jesus, having grown up in a Christian family. It's going to cost people something to follow Jesus. <clears throat> There's a whole idea of their community. And what is their identity? That's a much bigger question. How long does it take to build relationships of trust with people? Well, that depends. It's not complicated. Developing relationships of trust and confidence is not complicated, but it's not quick. It takes time. you got to live life with people. you got to hang out. I talk about the ministry of hanging out, being with people, doing life, the good, the bad, the fun, the cool cultural stuff, the ugly, unpleasant stuff, hanging with people through the good and the bad of life. Can this be done by short-termers? I mean, really simply put, no. I believe in short-term missions. Does short-term have a place? Absolutely. But creating understanding takes time because learning language and culture and building relationships takes time. There is no replacement for time spent with people. There is no replacement for time spent on the mat. There is no fast track to this stuff. If our goal is to create understanding... People who understand and believe what the Word says, that takes time in relationships. And sometimes God works in miraculous, powerful ways, and people come to Christ quickly and in numbers, and that's wonderful when it happens, but we can't go out planning on God doing the miraculous big stuff, because sometimes He doesn't. The lasting, enduring movements among people groups typically take a long time, and they typically come after somebody or some people have put in years and years of relationship building. Ministry to Muslims, ministry to Fulani is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's the long game. It takes the long game. The Fulani live in a dark world. It's a fearful world. It's an uncertain world. Islam is strict and harsh. Animism is a fearful situation. Those, those things are not characterized by love. 
Fulani lived with very little hope in that very dark world. There was a song, an, old, an older song that I, I won't even try to sing because I can't, that um, said, you may be the only, Christ, the only Jesus someone ever sees. And I want to I end with this. People like the Fulani need to see Jesus Christ. They need to see him lived out. You might say, well, no, no, no. What they need is salvation. What they need is the gospel message. We'll just get that to them. That's true. But those things are found in Jesus Christ. And they need to see Jesus Christ lived out in someone's life. It, doesn't, it can be a missionary. It can be their neighbor. They need to see Jesus lived out. Because communication is more than preaching. It's creating understanding. Other things get in the way in their culture, in their religious beliefs, miscomprehensions, other stuff clouds their experiences. So they need some help. They need some faithful witnesses. They need some patient witnesses. They need enduring witnesses who are around for a long time who demonstrate this is what it looks like to live for Jesus and to be a Christian. What does it look like for Fulani to follow Jesus? Does he have to come into a church building? I'd say no. Does she need to sing the right songs? Holy, holy, holy. Number one in the hymnal? No. Does he or she need to be able to read the gospel accounts? Do they need to memorize John 3.16? What if they look like this guy? Can that guy be a Christian, you think? Can he be a Christian? Yes or no? Who says no? Wonderful. This guy's a pastor. He's one of my dearest friends. He's a wonderful man. Maunde. Do they have to, must his practice of his faith look just like mine? No. A Fulani needs to see what it looks like for a Fulani to follow Jesus Christ. And obviously we want other Fulani Christians to be a part of that. And maybe by God's grace, somehow I can help them understand what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. What I'm talking about is incarnation. We talk about incarnation usually at Christmas because it's when God came to earth to live as man. It was God in human form. And the word became flesh. Jesus was the word and dwelt among us. God chose to come to earth as man so that we could know him, so that we could relate to him, and so that he could bring us salvation because it was the only way for us to be saved. Jesus Christ came to seek and save the lost. It was the only way we could be saved. So incarnational ministry, then, is the idea of modeling Jesus Christ with our lives. So if I'm modeling Jesus Christ for Maunde, my friend, or other Fulani, and they see something different, and I talk about Jesus, and they see him somehow in my life, um, that's incarnational ministry. Have that next slide. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved, himself and, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a mystery that somehow, as I'm living as a believer, and Jesus dwells in me, because I was crucified with Christ, now Jesus lives in me, and when people see me, they're seeing Jesus. By God's grace. Not by all the great things I do, it's none of that. 
It's by God li- God's grace and Jesus living in me. People see me, they see Jesus Christ. That's what Fulani need. They need folks to live with them, among them, Americans, Australians, Koreans, French, Ethiopians, you name it, who will live out Jesus in front of Fulani and they can see what it looks like to follow Jesus. And when any of us do this, as missionaries or citizens of Kent, you were living incarnationally. Now there's a different element when it's someone doing it cross-culturally. But incarnational ministry is missions at its best. Communication without preaching, because they see it in your life, but also proclamation, communication that creates understanding. Seeing the world the way the other sees it, and then communicating the gospel to him or her in a way that she can understand it. You say, but man, that's hard. That sounds really hard. Yeah, it is. That's why it's called the long game. That's why it takes time. That's what I really believe we need. Short-term missions can't, can't do it. It's just, it's just I, I don't believe it can happen. Language alone can take many years. Worldview and culture, it, it's, it's, it's difficult stuff. It may take, you, you, you'll, you'll never lose your own, your own worldview, so grasping another one is very, very difficult. Relationships take time. None of these things happen quickly. It's not impossible. It's not unattainable. It's only by the grace of God that we're able to do any of this. But it's harder than I can express how, how difficult this is. There is no easy formula for it. But, so it is the investment of a lifetime. It is the investment of many, many years. And it is absolutely worth it. I have never regretted the time I have spent sitting on the mat getting to know my friends. It's one more slide. I need, I need to wrap up. So missions is communication. Three things to remember. It's hanging out. It's being with people. It's authentic, sincere relationships. And if Christ is living in you, they're going to see him. And the Holy Spirit will show you the ways you can, you can put the gospel or put conversations about Jesus in, those, in, in your time spent with people. But you've got to be with people in an authentic way. Next one. It's proclaiming. At some point, you've got to tell them the truth. At some point, they need to hear it. At some point, they need to understand it. But we want to create understanding so that it makes sense to them. And the third, incarnating Jesus, being Jesus to them. That one, there's not an easy formula for, but we ask the Lord, God, let me live for them in a way that they see you and not me. So the bottom line is creating understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ. That's really what it's about. And, I, and I've tried to show you that that takes time. That takes time and sweat and tears. It is painful. It is not easy. It is so worth it. Salvation is a blessing. It is our greatest gift. We are beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. Salvation is good news. Salvation is a blessing, but salvation is a trust. It is a trust that we have been given to tell somebody else. It is our responsibility. So I've talked to you about Nigeria, the trouble in the north and the south. 
Muslims in the north, Christians in the south. And a Christian church leader told me, he said, we received the gospel in the 70s among my people in the south, and we grew fat on the blessings of the gospel. But part of the problem in Nigeria, in the north, in the conflict between the north and south today, is because we Christians in the south kept it for ourselves. We didn't share it with our brothers in the north. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, hide it under a bushel? No. No, it's meant to be shared. It's good news. If it's good news, it's meant to be shared. It's not just for ourselves. If you see ten men carrying a log, and there are nine men on one end and one man on the other end, which side are you going to go to? If you're going to help, which side are you going to go to? The world of the one is. Okay, the task of world missions... We got nine people here in the U.S. I'm not saying you all need to get up and leave. I'm not saying that. We need people living out their faith in the U.S. Absolutely. But around the world, there are 40 million Fulani living and dying without ever hearing the good news. There is one man on that end of the log. I don't want to be dogmatic. I don't want to overstate it. I, don't, I would not say that you're wasting your life if you're not a missionary. I'm not saying that. But what I would say is if your life, that your life is not all that God wants it to be if you know what he's calling you to do and you're not doing it. And so that might mean that some of you in here today are being called to missions. This is not a guilt trip. I'm not interested in guilt trips. But I think these are some important facts and realities to think about. And ultimately it comes down to what is God's will for each of us. I don't know what God's will is for this person or that person, or that person. I know, what's God, I know what God's will is for me, and I'm doing my best to be faithful. So all I would ask is that you ask God, what is my place in world missions? What place can I play? And, and, and ask him seriously, are you willing to go, to be a part of creating understanding taking the gospel to hard places where people are living and dying without, the, without knowing Jesus. Listen for him to speak. Trust him to show you. If you are seeking to know his will in this, with time, I believe, he will show you. He does not want to keep his will from you a secret. Thank you for having me. I want to, before I close in prayer, just want to say if any of you are, you know, are feeling that God is maybe leading you to that or you have some questions or, or whatever it is, I know that on either sides here uh, there are tables and, and folks will be there to pray with you and talk about things if you're, if you're interested. Um, and there's all kinds of people that want to talk to you about missions. Let me just close this in prayer. Father, thank you for the privilege that we have to be your children. Father, we are beggars and we found bread we found the bread of life in Jesus Christ. By God's grace, you gave that to us. You showed it to us. You called us to yourselves. And we are so privileged, Father, to be your children. We want to be a part in some way of telling others where that bread is found. Lord, we want to live incarnationally. We want people to see you in us. hang out with people to create relationships. We want to speak the truth when it needs to be spoken. Father, we ask you to do this through us for your glory and not for ours. In Jesus' name we pray. Hi, I'm Kevin Day, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel South. 
I really hope you enjoyed the message and that God spoke to your heart through it. If you'd like to know more about our church and find other messages to watch, head over to ccskent.org. And I would love to meet you at one of our Sunday services. God bless you.